The non-alcoholic beverage I'm drinking right now is my typical go-to, club soda mixed with some type of non-alcoholic beverage. This could be bitters, a gin alternative, or one of my favorites, an alcohol-free sweet vermouth. I love making cocktails. I'm that one person that goes into a party, raids the refrigerator and cabinets, and makes some kind of crazy concoction for everyone. And today we'll be chatting with Chris Marshall, founder of Sandsmar, to discuss all things non-alcoholic beverages and the growth of the non-alcoholic beverage movement. Hi everyone, I'm Marco Salazar and welcome to the For All Drinks podcast, your place for discovering delicious non-alcoholic beer, wine, spirits, mocktails, and more for leading a fun, healthy, and inclusive lifestyle. Sandsbar is one of the first alcohol-free bars to open in the U.S. and was started by founder Chris Marshall. After getting sober in 2007 and working in the treatment industry, Chris started Sandsbar to provide a place that serves alcohol-free beverages in a safe and welcoming environment where people can gather to socialize and grow as a community, whatever their relationship to alcohol. I'm excited for you to learn about his journey in growing Sandsbar, as well as learn about his favorite non-alcoholic cocktails. Thanks so much for joining us today. Chris's story is an example of how far the non-alcoholic beverage industry has come because just a few years ago, alcohol-free bars like Sandbar were not even really possible because of the lack of good non-alcoholic beverage options. Chris is also a master mocktail creator, and in this episode, we get into where the idea of Sandsbar came from and it being rooted in social connection without booze. Some of Chris's favorite alcohol-free drinks, including ones he's created like the Sobre Libre and Watermelon Nojito. What are key ingredients to use when making delicious non-alcoholic cocktails? His takes on trends of where the non-alcoholic beverage industry is heading, as well as the impact of COVID-19, the social injustice of 2020, and what this looks like for the future of connection. So here he is, Chris Marshall. Hey, Chris. Welcome to the 4 All Drinks podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm so excited to chat with you today because when I started exploring the world of non-alcoholic drinks and the Sober Curious movement, with my own path of being Sober Curious, you're one of the first people I came across with Sandsbar. So I'd love to just get started and hear the story of Sandsbar and where it came from. The story of Sandsbar, it's the story of my own life. I got sober when I was 23 years old, and a big part of me getting sober and deciding that I wanted to stay sober was understanding the power of community and connection. I was surrounded by people who accepted me for who I was, and they were willing to walk with me through this very arduous journey of getting sober and finding recovery after a really tough time with alcohol. That really informed the way that I looked at the, the world at 23. Uh, I saw it as, as this place where we were built for connection and wired for connection. And so I went to school, became a counselor. And I did uh, addiction treatment counseling for eight years. And in that time, I was seeing the same pattern emerging over and over again, where people would go to treatment, get better, but then they'd always return back to their, or not always, but most of the times they would return back to their drinking life in part because they lacked that social piece. And so I, I just felt like what I could do in the clinical world was very limited. What I knew needed to happen was there had to be something outside of that space for people to continue that road of recovery. And for people who just wanted to drink less, they needed a space. And so that's where the idea of Sandsbar came. And what prompted the name of Sandsbar? I just could not come up with a name that represented what I wanted to create. I thought about creating, using the well bar as a well, and a well is a space for depth. And I had all these names. and But Sandsbar just came about 
through conversations with my friends and trying to explain what it was and what it could be. And I wanted to create a space that focused on connection. And I knew that bar had to be an important part of the name because the history of bars is that they've always been the centerpiece of society. It's always been where, and especially in America, it's been where early on in our nation's history, where we voted, where we held trials, where we formed a revolution against the British monarchy. We always found bars and taverns as this meeting place, this focal place for community to grow and develop. And I knew bar had to be part of it, but I wanted to make sure that people understood that this was a bar without alcohol. And so it was very important for me to, to communicate both of those thoughts in a name. And so I, I went with Sands, which is without, but bar, because it's a full bar experience. Yeah. And I think one of, one that's amazing about the history of bars, I did not know some of those elements. And two, you're right, it's such an integral part to connection and community and socializing. And so often people don't go to bars if they're not drinking alcohol or they don't want to drink or if they're wanting to be healthy. And that aspect of their life or that social life is gone. And I think what you've created is a place for people to come and still have those rituals and those connections, but not necessarily need to have alcohol. So what was the response when you launched? Tepid. Uh, people, yeah. there was a lot of head scratching because I live in Austin, Texas, and Austin is the city that other cities go to to party. It's where people from Las Vegas or Amsterdam or Frankfurt or New York, people come to Austin to party, to experience this very innovative social scene. We have Austin City Limits Festival. We have South by Southwest, which is this global event. The whole world converges on Austin, Texas. And so it was a divergent path to go down this sober route when this whole city is known for its ability to throw huge, massive parties. And people just didn't understand it at first. They just didn't understand what I was trying to do. And, and frankly, I was still trying to form what it was. And so I started with my first pop-up in 2017, the end of 2017, and maybe six people came who weren't my family members. And I knew that first night that I was onto something, though. I could just feel it. And the people that did come that weren't related to me felt that too. They felt that there was something missing in the market, that there was just no third space that was the, devoted directly to socializing without alcohol. There's many third spaces between work and home. There's country clubs, there's coffee shops. None of those spaces speak directly to forming connections. You can only be so connected in the country club, and it's very exclusive, right? And you can also only be so loud and connect to people in a coffee shop. And so there are a million Starbucks in the world, but none of them are a space or any coffee shop in the world. None of those spaces are built for connecting to strangers and creating community through conversation. And I appreciate you being open and honest and transparent about like how it started. I think that's the journey of the entrepreneur, right? And I think you're always iterating and prototyping and seeing in 2017 is very early on. I think as there's been so many elements of more types of non-alcoholic beverages coming about, Ruby Warrington and the Sober Curious book and kind of that movement. And how have you seen things shift from 2017, that initial opening to like today? Yeah, so I always describe it as his wave. So in 2017, when I was, and really I found that I 
started doing the first kind of formation for my business. I got the first DBA in 2016. So I, I've been at it a while before I even launched that first in real life experience. And there just wasn't this wave yet that was forming. It was way out there and it was developing and gaining depth and height. And I just was in the water at the time when Ruby Warrington started to come up, when mindful drinking became a thing, when gray area drinking became something that we were talking about. And I happened to ride that wave also with products. I think around that time is when Seedlip 2017 was right around the time Seedlip became something that was prominent in the United States because before then there just wasn't much. And so the beverage industry was part of that wave and all of this like shift in consciousness, the way that we looked at media and influences and the way that we looked at targeted ads towards women and drinking, all of this stuff about 2017, 2018, this wave started to, to really rise up and it just crested in 2018 and 2019. And I just happened to be riding that wave at the time, but I am not responsible for the wave. I'm definitely a product of it and I've benefited from it. I just happened to be in the water at the right time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're even still at the beginning stages of that wave. I think, as you probably know, in the UK and other parts of the world, it's a little bit further along, at least in terms of options. But I think over the next few years, it's just going to really explode. I think there is a demand for based on health and wellness, based on people wanting to be more mindful and sober curious and just general health. I think, yeah, I think this is the first wave in a set of waves which will change the ocean. I think what we're eventually going to see is the ocean change from a single wave. And yeah, I was on that first wave and I continue to catch different waves of this as this becomes part of the way that we think about socialization, the way that we think about beverages, the way that we think about health and wellness in our society. There are many waves that will eventually change the entire ocean around us. Yeah. And what are you seeing? It's interesting that you say in such like a physical way that when people came and you launched, it was like head scratching, meaning I think there's a lot of people that one, don't know so many delicious non-alcoholic beverages exist, or they have had really bad experiences. They've had non-alcoholic wine and it's like very sugary grape juice or like beer that's very flat. And what are some of the kind of the challenges that you see a consumer having to trying these out or adopting them? Yeah, this is a great time to be alive because we are seeing the evolution of these drinks. And, and the thing about evolution is that it's building on top of itself, right? Like these, this beverage industry segment is growing in a way that is just, I think it's one of the fastest growing segments of the beverage market. It's non-beverages. So we're seeing just a couple years ago, there was just like Martinelli's and Welch's and O'Doul's and that was it. And I, I like how people can look back and it's like, those options were awful. Those were the only options that were available, right? <laughs> you know? That's like yeah. looking at your iPhone and saying, oh, the first PCs were awful. No, they were what we could do at the time. What we could do at the time was just very limited and the audience was very limited. There was no movement in the ocean. So you couldn't develop capital around it. You couldn't get investors. It, there just wasn't a market for it. And now that there's money behind the beverage industry, that what we're able to get is a lot more variety, diversity, and I think complexity in our beverage options. Yeah, I guess I'll just ask a question if you don't mind answering is what are some of your favorite kind of beers and wines and spirits that you've tasted? 
Yeah. So man, Seedlip is 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 the OG, and I loved Seedlip from the moment that I tried it because I thought it was something very different. Uh, because and, and what it did and again in 2017 when there was no other non-alcoholic spirit it gave us a chance to build complex drinks for the first time you could say this isn't just juice it has a non-alcoholic distilled spirit called sea lip 94 sea lip 108 like you could now position your drinks as zero proof cocktails yeah, yeah and that was something that we just hitherto could not do and sea lip is a favorite of mine ritual of course is a favorite non-distilled and i've tried liars it's great on the non-alcoholic wine front bonafide is a company based out of florida but they use italian grapes and i love that they really pay attention to the zero proof aspect of it that it's certified non-alcoholic because the sands bar and we're a bit and everyone's different and everything that's i hope we're going to talk about the sobriety spectrum here but Sandspar is one end of the sobriety spectrum where as a company, we are completely zero proof. We look much in the way like a vegan restaurant would serve only uh, non-animal based food. And so we only serve zero, absolutely zero proof products. And there's still a lot of options. Would you not serve any beer? So there's a couple beers that are zero proof. You know, oh, cool. Heineken is 100% zero proof. And then there's a lot of other substitutes. You have something like H2O hops and yeah, a few hop, others that yeah, have that. Yeah. Hop water is great. Lagunita yeah. is, is zero proof. There's nothing wrong with a trace amount of alcohol. And there, and frankly, there's trace amounts of alcohol in your orange juice, fresh squeezed orange juice, right? There's negligible amounts of alcohol in many things, but we really try to focus on the zero proof options because that is just, I think, integral to like how we got started was this idea that it was a safe space for people who were choosing to be sober long-term. And I think one of the things you're pointing out that's really interesting, especially with the spirit standpoint, is that previously there wasn't really a base. I think like now there's Seedlip, there's Liars, and there's a number of others that allow you to have a base that just didn't really exist that allows you to create complex cocktails. And even some of the things that are more basic, like right now I'm drinking a Liars Negroni, but a lot of the things that I'll use Seedlip, for example, is just adding complexity to soda water. Mm -hmm. That's really good. What's been, what are some of your favorite cocktail recipes you like to make or that you serve at Sands Bar? The first one that comes to mind for me is the Cuba Libre that we do at Sands Bar. So we call it a Sober Libre. And it is, the base is RK. And RK is this company that has all the spirits that you're familiar with. Vodka, gin, whiskey, rum, all those in non-alcoholic form. And so it's a real one-to-one -one comparison. So we do a shot of the RK spiced rum, fresh lime, and cola and that's it that's the drink and i love it because it's so simple but yet it's just so darn good i i love it a lot one drink that i've been making a lot when i'm doing these kind of virtual events is a watermelon nojito and that's been lots of fun to make just using dry soda watermelon flavored so it's sparkly and effervescent and then some fresh watermelon agave and lime and then muddle that with some mint and it is just a darn good beverage. And that sounds amazing during the summer. Oh my gosh. It's something about fresh watermelon and mint is so good. And then the soda on top of it just gives it a nice little bubbly and it's not super sugary, which I think is really important for a lot of people. 
my kids ask for that drink all the time. They're like, we want the watermelon drink. They love it. And as a mixologist and as someone who is a proprietor of Sober Bar, I find that the world is really opening up and there's so many options when it comes to non-alcoholic beverages that there just wasn't before. And it's an exciting time to be making drinks at home. Yeah, and I think you point out something of interesting in terms of shifting the conversation is that, so Sands Bar did in-person events and this is what we were going to do with Four All Drinks as well. And you did this amazing tour around the US where you had lots of different pop-up bars. And one, I'd love for you to share that, but I think I'd love to hear your thoughts on everything that happened with COVID and now that's had to shift and you being an entrepreneur, how you've had to adapt and innovate in this context where you can't make people those watermelon cocktails anymore. Yeah, it's been an incredible thing. I started Sands Bar with $200. Like that, that was it. I'd never run a business before, never owned a business before, never thought about being a business person. My whole professional career was clinical. So the whole idea was this kind of space that was social and fun and hip and cool and everything that's really dope about living in Austin. Like that was there, but the business side of things didn't come easy for me. I had to learn as I was doing. So I was trying to figure out how can I create a national presence? And that's when the idea for the tour came. So in 2019, I went to nine cities in the U.S. on the first Sands Bar tour. And that was fantastic. It was just some of these places I'd never been to, never dreamed about going to. I went to Anchorage, Alaska in 2019. And the reception as I was going to Anchorage or Portland or Seattle, New York City, all these places I, I traveled to that first year, it was incredible because people were still learning about this idea of a sober bar and understanding like what it is. And, and those nights when I'm on the road doing these pop-up events are fantastic. You come in, you can try all these drinks that are my product partners and we have food and live music. And it was just one night event that really brought the community together in that city. So I just had a lot of fun in 2019. And then this year in 2020, I partnered with a dry soda company that became a strategic partner with Sands Bar. And we had set up a 15 city tour this year and had hoped to even expand beyond that. And we made it through six of the 15 before COVID hit. And uh, it's been a surreal experience because we had such high hopes and we were just growing this movement of this these one-night events. Just in January alone, we went to Atlanta, D.C., and Seattle for your dry January. And we had massive events where it's over 100 people. It was so much fun for people to try these drinks, try these products that they had never tried before, and to fall in love with these new brands that are just remarkable. Once COVID hit, Everything shut down and I've had to shut down the bar here in Austin, even as I'm here in Texas where things are opening up. They opened up a little prematurely. I remain closed because so much of what I believe Sands Bar is about is wellness. It's about healthy socialization. And I just couldn't in good conscience open up a space that's about wellness in a time of absolute sickness. It, it made no sense to me to do that. So we've been closed, but we've been also doing a lot of virtual events. And these events have been really fun in part because I'm partnering with people who are not necessarily in the sober space or the sober spectrum space. These are people who do traveling and have podcasts and other things. And we're finding a way to bring in a new audience who is looking for a way to have fun that doesn't include alcohol because a lot of these Zoom happy hours are focused around alcohol. 
And it's been fun. It's been fun to watch people change the way that they think about not drinking. Yeah. And and I think that's an important thing to point out. I think when you're, especially when you're building a bricks and mortar business, there's only so much time you have in the day. And now you have a little more time to be able to, you were probably attracting people that were interested in Sands Bar, which is no alcohol. And now you have an opportunity to reach out to people that, like you said, that are not necessarily in this space, but might be a little curious and, and bring them into the movement. I think the thing that's just fascinating especially you having a physical space is that connection and community, but also, and I'd love to talk about this in terms of like inclusivity, is that I think the great thing about the non-alcoholic beverage movement is it's creating a space for people that when, if they're not drinking or they're not going to drink alcohol, they don't equate that with being able to go out or more importantly, have fun and they don't feel included. Or I was talking with the founder of another beverage company where People who go to parties who don't drink alcohol will bring a bottle of wine and then just drink soda. And now there's an opportunity for people to feel included in this. And how have you seen that evolve in terms of this inclusion and and the non-alcoholic beverage movement helping with that? Yeah, I, I see that it is putting people who don't drink in the same arena with everyone else because you now have an attractive fun, interesting drink. And I know that I've gone to social events, of course, prior to COVID. And I've walked up with my six pack of non-alcoholic beer. And people are like, what is that? That that name is crazy. That branding is awesome. What is this? And I've had people like, can I have one of your beers? Sure. Yeah. Like that wasn't possible three years ago. People just did not want what was off. It did not look very involved. And that's just the reality of alcoholic beverages. They've had centuries to evolve. And I'm seeing some beverage companies in the non-alcoholic space making centuries worth of progress in months. And they're innovating. And I believe, frankly, out-innovating alcoholic beverage industry leaders. And I think that's what we're seeing a lot of is that for once, it is actually cool to have a non-alcoholic beverage in your hand. And that was something that you just couldn't say even a year ago. I don't even think you could say that a year ago. I think what we're seeing right now is absolutely remarkable. Yeah. And I think there's two elements that you're talking about that are really important in terms of this non-alcoholic beverage movement. First, I think there are a lot of younger startups. A lot of the, the most prominent ones now are one to two-year-old startups. And they think about brand first along with product, but they're really focused on brand versus kind of these old school brands. And I think the other side of it is they're innovating from actually a product standpoint. I think in the past, it was a beer or a wine and you produce it in the same way and then you burn off the alcohol versus an actual process of making distilled spirits without alcohol or brewing beer in a new and innovative way so that it actually tastes better than some of the current beers there, which I think is really fascinating. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The technology is really increased too, which has made all of these innovations possible. There's just a lot of growth that is happening simultaneously. And it's exciting for me as a sober bar owner, as an entrepreneur. And I just believe that we are still, again, another wave is coming behind this one. And that wave will be even more massive. And I really believe 
that we've already seen liquor companies starting to put money into non-alcoholic beverages, right? Some of the biggest brands that that are on the market today in the non-alcoholic space are funded by traditionally alcohol industry leaders. And so what I think we're going to see is even more of that. And with that comes a lot more expertise, a lot more technology, better branding, better distribution, because a lot of this is hyper-local. There's a lot of great shrubs that are out there that I love, but I just can't get because they're in another state or on another continent. There's a lot of spirits that are out there that I would love to taste and I follow them on Instagram, but getting them is very cost prohibitive as a stockist of this product. And so all of those things I hope will change over time where it's just easier to get this stuff. It's easier to get it through Amazon or easier to get it in your local store. Shout out to Total Wine and More for being one of the main stores as I go across the country, I'm able to find the same consistent non-alcoholic products, well-being or hops water or athletic. I'm able to find those products in every store in the country. There's Things are really shifting and changing in the most awesome way possible. And can you share a little bit about what shrubs are? I think the audience would be very interested in that. So shrubs are nothing new. That's what I, I love that shrubs have been around since the founding of this country. And I am not the expert on shrubs, but I will tell you what I know as a mixologist. So shrubs are vinegar-based drinks that contain usually a fruit element and maybe some herbs and spices that give it a a vinegary yet sweet kind of uh, flavor profile. And shrubs are great if you just want to be very simple and add it to a a sparkling soda or something like that. But they can also serve as a base for a drink to counter off the sweetness of fruit. And wow, I just can think of so many different shrubs. I don't even want to name one because I feel like I'll leave one out. But there are just so many out there that are really great. They're doing things like honeydew and jalapeno. They're doing habanero and pineapple. There's so many that are not, and I think a lot of people are used to seeing simple syrups in their zero-proof cocktails. But I think that shrubs are a much, much more accessible way to create, to create a balanced and nuanced beverage. I think shrubs, again, give you that counterbalance to the sweetness, which we're all trying to like guard against. Like I think that's what, when you're making a drink, you're always concerned about, is this going to be too sweet? And my rule is that the drinks should have just enough sweetness to keep you excited and engaged about it but never so much that you could never have another one. My philosophy is that every drink that I make, even this Sober Libre with the spice rum and cola, it should never be so sweet that you're like, ugh, I can't have another one of those. That's too much sugar. It should never be that. We do a house-made sangria using non-alcoholic wine, and that is delicious, but it's not super sweet either. We let the natural fruit speak for itself and the wine component of it speak for itself. We really don't want to add any more sugar because it takes away from the ability to enjoy it more than once. Yeah. Are there any other ingredients that you end up using to add complexity to cocktails or any other types of drinks besides shrubs? Yeah. So I believe that we don't just drink with our mouths. We drink with our eyes and our ears first. When you ask a sommelier to to talk about a wine, they're not going to just talk about the mouthfeel or they're not going to talk about the what, what it's like to their palate. They're also going to talk about the visual aspect of it. And I believe that non-alcoholic beverages and especially zero-proof cocktails 
must also contain a visual element. And I think that's the way that you can take the most benign glass of sparkling water and put fresh fruit in it. And all of a sudden it changes the optics of that beverage. And so I love to do simple things that create complexity. So one of my favorite things to do is to do a smoked lime wheel. And so I'll take some limes, put it on a mesquite on the grill, and then put them in the oven for about a hundred degrees for about four hours. And it really changes the way that a drink just feels because you have that smoky thing that you're taking in with your nose first and the dried look of the, the lime just creates this really bar feel. It's really a very cool thing. I love to use flowers and rose petals. All these things really give dimension to a zero-proof cocktail. Yeah, and I think what you're pointing out, which again ties to the community and connection and even being the bar, is that it's not that simply people are just drinking a non-alcoholic beverage, they're having an experience. And that is such an integral kind of element to all of that. I, I think one of the things I'd love to talk, switch a little bit gears is that we've been talking about the importance of inclusion within and how the non-alcoholic beverage movement is supporting this. But I think one of the things that's happened over the past few months is a lot of social injustice and civil unrest. And part of that has been, you're a, a person of color, I'm a person of color as well. And it's it was interesting with the launch of Four All Drinks, because we're recording this right before the launch. And a lot of the, I was looking at the speakers, part of the brand partners that we're having. And then the first ones I reached out to that said yes to, I realized I'm the only person of color and there's no women either, which was really fascinating. And I think it's important. It was important for me to have a diverse set, not only of the variety of non-alcoholic beverages that are out there, but also the people that are part of this conversation. And how has everything that's been happening over the past months affected you, affected Sandsbar and your approach to everything? I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. So the beautiful through line for all of this stuff, for COVID, for the social uprising that we're seeing in this country, I think they're, the constant theme the through line is community because we're starting to realize that we are more connected than we realize and that what happens to one of us happens to all of us, right? If someone um, doesn't want to be a part of a conversation, then it impacts them that we all move through this world. It, it All of it is about connection. And, and so what I've experienced this year at first, before COVID, was this growing community on the sober spectrum. And when I say sober spectrum, there are people who are sober forever, and then there's people that are sober curious. So there's sober serious and sober curious. And people in that spectrum were really excited about what was happening with this wave that was growing with Sandsbar. And then COVID hit, and then it became about a different kind of community. And it was like the, that need that we all have to connect to each other and protect each other. And that community began to form and people began to find ways to virtually connect. And then with the social injustice and the death of George Floyd, we saw community forming in a different way and people forming community around connections and conversations around race. As I've gone through these different phases of this community aspect of it, personally, it has been one of the most transformational experiences in my life because I've watched as people connect and advocate for each other in a way that I've never seen before. I am often the only one in the room. 
when I curate these events, when I'm producing events across the country, I am often one of a handful of people of color. And this is the first time that I've seen not only this, that sober spectrum space, but just the world in general centering around people of color and letting people of color have the microphone and listening more than they talk about all of these things. And so it, it's just been a very surreal experience to, to go from a place where I was struggling to be heard. I, I won't name the name of the publication, but they came, it's a major publication. They came to, to interview me about Sandsbar. They came to film uh, a night at Sandsbar and none of the stuff included my face. Wow. I've seen other silver bars of the same magnitude being covered by equal kind of level in the press world. And those founders' pictures and photos are front and center, and mine wasn't. And I always thought that was interesting. And I can't say that it's always been the case, but what I'm seeing now is that as I'm doing interviews and doing press, people are asking to see my face. That just knowing about the bar and knowing the story behind the bar is not enough. That they really want to know the person behind the bar. They want to see my face. And that is, I just, surreal is the only word that describes that. It's like standing outside on a rainy day and never having an umbrella. And then suddenly someone gives you an umbrella. Someone's giving you cover. Someone is saying that your story, your face, your perspective matters. And, and that is such a beautiful, weird transformative experience for me. Yeah. And I think it all comes down that I love that you keep coming back to is that we're all connected. And I think what are the things that are, and the barriers that are preventing that connection? And it's a lot of understanding. It's a lack of like open-mindedness. And, and, and it's, it, this is not necessarily trying to put this at the same level as a social injustice. But I, I see it, and I had a conversation earlier this morning about the same thing happening with non-alcoholic beverages. Is There's a perception and a stereotype of what they are until they experience that, until they get to know that there's something different about this. And I think it's about education and helping people come together. And oftentimes it's a lot about people bumping shoulders that they that normally don't get to bump shoulders. And I think in this non-alcoholic beverage space is possibly a lot of people that don't get to bump shoulders because they've been preventing, there hasn't been a reason or an opportunity for them to go out to a bar or restaurant to socialize. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of in real life events, but also these virtual events are creating all this intersectionality that just we haven't really explored before. So we did a pride event in June and it was very cool because we were not only talking about Pride Month and everything that it represents and the growth of understanding and awareness around LGBTQIA plus individuals, but also we looked at the Black Lives Matter movement. And so there's all these intersections that you can be sober and a person of color and a trans person and all these different things all at once. And this bumping of shoulders creates a circle. And that circle is how we get better. We're going to get better together. COVID is not going to go away until we come together. I think that is the unchangeable truth about where we're at, is that we will never get through this thing unless we get through it together. And that's the way that not drinking works. That's the way that starting a business works. That it's all about collaboration. It's all about community.
And I think the other thing that's really interesting where we sit is we're engaging with a lot of brands. And I think there's an opportunity for us as people in this non-alcoholic beverage industry, but also in the context we're in to influence those brands. I'm thinking about Athletic Brewing, and I'm not sure if you saw that they, about a month ago, they donated $50,000 to an impact fund on nonprofit organizations that were focusing on social justice. And I think there were brands that were taking stands, and some of it was more like verbal and posting stuff. Some had a couple thousand bucks, and they like, this is where we stand. This is what we want to eradicate. And it's really great to see someone like Athletic really focusing on social impact. And hopefully that sets the standard for all the companies in the non-alcoholic beverage space. Yeah, I really hope that we see the leaders in this non-alcoholic beverage space stepping up months from now, because I think it's really easy. I too saw a lot of black squares on my Instagram accounts and a lot of carefully curated comments. It's like they went through HR and legal to make sure that they had the right verbiage. I saw a lot of that present in June. I'm more interested in what it's going to look like in January of 2021. That's what I want to see. And so it is awesome to see that there is this groundswell of support, but I believe that it would matter more if it were to be consistent and continuous. My silent fear is that we will do what we always do in this country, which is just change with the new cycle. Something else becomes center stage and we just stop thinking about these very important conversations. And so it's good to see that people are, are being active and engaged now. My hope is that they'll remain active and engaged in the future. Yeah, and it's less a moment and more that it's actually a groundswell movement. Mm -hmm. So I would love to just hear now, love the wide ranging conversation and love all the different aspects of what we've spoken about. and. What's next for Sandsbar? I know some of it's a little up in the air with COVID and not knowing when we're going to get to open, but where are you seeing Sandsbar evolving into over the next couple of years? Oh, wow. If you would have asked me that question in 2018, mm -hmm. heck, if you would ask me that question in January of this year, my answer would be a lot different than it is today. So my answer in until January or March of this year would have been, to create more physical spaces, because I still believe that we need in real life connection, communication. I think that's how we grow. That's how we learn. That's how we create community. However, given circumstances, Sandsbar is really positioning itself to become a leader in experience. And we've always been an experienced brand. Even that first night with six people, that was an experience. And it was not about the drinks. And, and to be perfectly you know, honest with you, Sandsbar has never been about the drinks. It's never been about this idea that this is a place where you get great drinks. The drinks are great, but the product is community. That's what the focus is. The product has always been about community. And you're not paying for the drinks. You're investing in a space where people can come together. So Sandsbar is really working to become a leader in how we think about experiences, even in a virtual sense. And so we're meeting with some really excellent minds in the tech space and in, in the psychological world, it, it just trying to understand how we can create a deeper, richer virtual experience, because it is probably going to be the way that we connect to each other for the foreseeable future. If they create a cure for COVID tomorrow, we still have many other factors to be concerned about. We still have all these social issues to address. We still have climate change, which will change the way that we, we look at this world and the way that the world looks to us. 
there are so many different fronts in which gathering is going to be essential and it will have to evolve just like everything else. And so out in that ocean, there is a wave and it is small and it looks very innocuous, but there's going to be a wave that's going to get closer to shore. And as it does, I want to be in the water. <laughs> yeah. I, I think you point out something hugely important, which there is a reimagining and redefining of so many things. And one of those is gathering. And what does that look like in the context that we're currently in to facilitate connection and community. I think for all drinks in my previous company, my other company, Be Social Change, I really think of just like you said, the drinks, but also we produce a lot of panels and we think of content as a vehicle for connection. Uh, and, and it just like drinks, like the content and the drinks are those facilitators that help that. But the end goal is connection and community and, and love. And love. Absolutely. It's, there are only two forces in this world or this universe that matter and it's love and fear. And 2020 has just flooded us with fear. There's a million things to be afraid of. And I think the counterbalance to that is love and everything that looks like love, which is community, which is connection, which is loving yourself and loving your experience, loving this journey that you get to be on to try all these different beverages that you didn't know existed, to have adventure, to make meaningful connections where you can. All of those are different shades of love. And my hope is that we spend the rest of this year focusing on love because we spent a whole lot of this year focused on the fear. What a great way to end the conversation. Thank you so much, Chris, for sharing your insights, expertise, your story. And I can't wait for us to continue the conversation, grow this movement and partner in the future. Absolutely. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining me today. I hope you feel inspired by Chris's story of growing Sandsbar and the impact that businesses like these are having in not only growing the non-alcoholic beverage movement, but in creating spaces where everyone feels included when socializing. If you're subscribed to the show, thanks for being part of the For All Drinks community. I'd be super grateful if you can take a moment to leave me a rating if you enjoyed this episode and the podcast. If you're not a subscriber yet, be sure to subscribe to this and all the other episodes of the podcast to start discovering more delicious non-alcoholic drinks. Lastly, visit foralldrinks.com for show notes to this episode and sign up for our newsletter to get the latest non-alcoholic beverage news, special giveaways, discounts, and more. Here's to drinking healthy, inclusively, and different. See you all next week.